here we are again on Grace to Stand. It's Pastors George, Pastor Darren, and Darren, who would guess our last episode about Taylor Swift uh, had the kind of reaction that it had? And people didn't know you were a Swifty. That's what <laughs> I got text and they says, Darren, really a Swifty? I'm not a Swifty. I... I just know a lot of things that uh, I, I probably shouldn't know and not a, a lot of things that I should know. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we started this podcast, Grace to Stand, some of the the thing was to help Christians, particularly in our churches. And now that Darren is uh, a pastor at a church, well, once again, like to, to help our congregations think through how to live out Christianity. And, you know, we've done all kinds of different things on this. We've uh, we've covered things like the Ordinary Means of Grace and PCA membership vows, but we also talked about things like Andy Stanley or Taylor Swift. And uh, th- that's that's part of what this is. I mean, that's I've always viewed this as a hopefully a service to my congregation. I, I don't have delusions of grandeur for this podcast, uh, although I'm happy that people listen to it outside of of my church, maybe Darren's church. So uh, we are going to do that again. We're going to combine two issues. One is the Alistair Begg controversy, Alistair Begg being a Reformed Baptist uh, pastor and preacher that many know from Ligonier conferences and from his own ministry, Truth for Life, and uh, all kinds of things. But we're also going to talk about the He Gets Us campaign. And why we're we're combining the two was First, I really thought we we had avoided the Alistair Begg controversy. It was already two weeks old or something. Uh, and, and my thought was we had done an episode after the Andy Stanley episode where we discussed all these various iterations, not simply about whether you should attend the, the wedding, a, a gay wedding of somebody in your family, but all kinds of situations in people's homes with uh, families and kids and trying to understand how to relate to adult kids living in, in or doing sinful things. And as when the Alistair Begg thing came out, uh, one of the listeners of this show said, Hey, this reminds me of this episode. And they, they shared that. And I thought that was enough, but, but I have had now congregants ask me, are you going to do a podcast on the Alistair Begg controversy? Because we're talking about this in our home, my uh, husband and wife, we're having these discussions. How do we do this? This is very relevant. And so that's why I thought we would do it. And then in the meantime, this He Gets Us campaign comes out, and I want to help us think through that. And Darren, I think the overarching uh, way to to talk about this, including the Taylor Swift conversation, is around the concept of discernment, Christian discernment. And the, the reason I say that is because, again, it's it's all this all-or-nothing thing going on in Christianity, all this package deal ethics. If you're in this box, you're not in this box. And if you're not in this box, then you must be in this box. And I just don't think that's the way to understand it. I'm not looking to cancel Alistair Begg. And I'm also not willing to um, say everything is wrong about the He Gets Us campaign, although I have a general impression of it that I wish it wasn't out there. I think $1 billion can be spent in better ways. So anyway, that's a, that's a, a whole intro. Darren, why don't you, before we jump into the topic, why don't you give us a little intro on why you wanted to talk about these things or how relevant you view them to your own context or people before we actually get into the specifics? 
Right, right. I, I, well, I think um, the the He Gets Us commercial, of course, was a commercial that was uh, displayed during the Super Bowl, which millions and millions of Americans watched and saw people in the church and outside the church. And, you know, that, that forms a remarkable um, picture of what many people believe Jesus to be and who he, they believe him to be, at least as is publicly portrayed. Um, so that, that shapes our collective understanding as a nation of who Jesus is when they see a commercial like that. And it becomes a, a, a matter of, of popular culture or uh, part of the national conversation. And so I think it's because it's part of the conversation, because it's it's the way our Savior has been portrayed uh, at the, the most highly watched event of the year, I think that, you know, we do well to consider what what we can take away from that that's positive and what we might want to critique. And I should say, just as a caveat, <clears throat> that there's been a lot of discussion on social media and in, in articles and podcasts. I mean, just do a search and it's all over the place about reaction to the He Gets Us commercial. And I think that we need to be a, a, a bit careful not to join the the sort of mob <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that has that has stirred up against it. But that's not to say that we ought to just in in, in response be silent and not have anything to say about it. I think there's something to say about this that we need to, to address. Um, well, particularly then, because like you said, it, it, it is now a part of the national conversation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think we'd all ignore it if, if, if it wasn't such a big thing. So I think now right. we do have to talk about why do Christian, why are there Christian leaders that we respect? Why are they really against this? Right. And why do we share their concerns? And so they're, you know, they, I think you're right. I think when something becomes part of the national conversation, um, it's not piling on to help. And that's why, again, I'm always thinking of our audience. You know, I, I mean, again, right. I would love if thousands of people listen to us. But the reason I do this from my office during the week when I'm at the church is because I'm thinking, how can I help my people think through this? Right, right. Yeah. And that's, and I think that we need to think through it because our neighbors that we work with and go to school with and live next door to uh, saw the commercial. And if they know us as Christians, they may ask, you know, what do you think about that? And what are we thinking about that? And what does that display about Jesus? Before we move to Alistair Begg, why don't we just, z just zero in on the He Gets Us commercial and talk a little bit about what it was. It was a, it was a, around a one minute long commercial during the Super Bowl. And there were various images of people uh, washing other people's feet. And um, it, it uh, stirred up much of the, the, what we're seeing in, 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 uh, in television news or, or uh, on the news feeds, we, we view on social media, uh, much of the national conversation about uh, ethnicity, sexuality, uh, racial tension, uh, um, you know, rioting, and so forth. Uh, if you're if you're watching this, George is posting the 
the ad right now, and you can look it up on YouTube on the He Gets Us. But you see, um, you see all these different people washing one another's feet. Um, and yeah, but people from different like here's here's a Native American and there's a cowboy washing. His feet. Um, th- right. This one is probably the most controversial. It's let me go back. It's right. at a um, abortion clinic or it says family planning clinic. Um, there's a young lady there, presumably to to have an abortion. Uh, there's, you know, pro-life people in the background with signs saying save the life of babies and and, right. and choice or child i think one of them says and and so it's it's like you have these you know christ again it, it's feeding into the narrative right so these are christians yeah. who don't care about people they don't care about the mom uh over off on the side with signs saying save the the life of the baby but then you have this one presumably christian washing the feet of a young lady who's about to go in there, it seems like. I think it, it sets up a false dichotomy that because I, I know people that go to abortion clinics and pray for the people and try to pray with the people. And many times they are praying with the people, hence caring for them, washing their feet, you know, but this, this is like similar to that Taylor Swift video, whereas at least the Christians aren't portrayed as Neanderthals who are holding up, you know, holding signs. <laughs> but like, it's, it's this idea to say, we're not like those Christians, you know? Very and much it, so. it, yeah. And so, but the, the, most of the video just has people at opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, one washing the feet of another, there was a police officer washing the feet of an African-American man. Here is uh an environmentalist being having the feet washed by a Texan. It looks like here that was a perhaps a, <laughs> a Texan. Well, I don't know. It was like there was like oil. There was an oil baron there. <laughs> it looks like a Texan, but it's, <laughs> was it? Apologies to all of our Texans listening. Well, it was in oil. It's a <laughs> it's a, yes, it's an oil. Yes, it's a, so it's an like an oil man, an oil, an oil, uh, someone in the oil and gas industry, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So he, here at the end, it looks like a, a, a priest washing the feet of someone who's uh, very clearly a, a homosexual. Uh, so, right. and then you get to the end and see uh, the, the words that pop up on the screen, which say um, Jesus didn't teach hate. Right. It's Je- a little yeah, laggy. Yeah, it's, there's a lag. Jesus didn't teach hate. Jesus washed feet. You know? He washed feet. He washed feet. And... Hey. So I think there's a, a lot to to say about that, um, <laughs> about the whole commercial. Positively, I want to say this, and it, and I think it's an important point for us to remember, and it is that the gospel is for all kinds of people. The gospel is for um, for people entranced in the deepest, darkest of sins people who've committed the deepest, darkest of sins. There is no sin that is that is too great for Christ to forgive. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. And I think that that's, that's profoundly important for us to take away as a positive from this. I also, Darren, just to add to that, a, yeah. a lot of these, there's no, there's no real sin involved. It's mm-hmm. just trying to show unity between, you know, 
an environmentalist and an oil person. Um, right. You know, a right wing person and a left wing person. Um, you know, I mean, certain of these, certain of these sin is involved, but, but for a lot of them, it's just simply di- people of different persuasions and backgrounds in life coming sure. together and, 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 you know, I guess the, the the people in the campaign would say loving, you know, you, who who you perceive to be your enemy is right, right. Loving who you perceive to be your enemy, and and I I think that's an important message to to gather. Um, you know, you look at the you look at the environmentalist and the oil baron, or you look at the um, you look at the 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 religious you know clergy member and the homosexual. You look at these people on different ends of the spectrum. And um, I think I, th- I think my, one of my pr- biggest problems with the ad is that it creates more confusion than clarity. And it does so by displaying, well, there are, you know, there are people on what we would consider the political and social right and the political and social left. And... Um, the, the degree of, of sin or the the egregiousness of, of of sin is is equal on both sides um, it, you know it, and and really we just all need to come together around a Jesus who who didn't preach hate but who washed feet which is by the way rather misleading because Jesus washed the disciples feet he didn't wash everybody's feet. His feet were washed by a repentant uh, prostitute who washed, you know, who poured ointment all over him. And, and I mean, her, her entire year's wages and washed his feet with his with her hair and displayed repentance. And Jesus was someone who hung, who spent time with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and, and all these people. But he he did so to point them to their only hope, which was not in indulging their sin, but was in him. You know, he's the bread of life. He is the the one who's who satiates their 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 thirst and their longing that are looking for through their sin. And the the commercial, the ad doesn't really do much to display that. It seems to portray is that there are a lot of Christians who've gotten Jesus wrong, who misrepresent him. And we want to be those who teach that Jesus is just love. And you you look at some of their statements of faith and you get these really huge, you know, profoundly ambiguous statements as to who Jesus is. I mean, the purpose of the ads probably just to stir up conversation. I mean, it can't, but at the same time, um, in doing so, I think it, I think it creates a lot of confusion. I think it creates a lot of confusion as to who Jesus is. And I think that, you know, in, in thinking through that, we need to be careful to not let mission drive the message. And, and it seems as if the mission to display that Jesus, you know, loves everybody has undermined the the true message of the gospel, which, you know, they, they wouldn't lead off with saying, you know, the very first words that Jesus ever said in his public ministry were, were repent and believe the gospel. 
You know, there's nothing that repentance well, is not that, going to be going to be a popular message for a Super Bowl ad. No, right, right. And the picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and he does say, then go and do likewise. So we're to serve. He says to love your enemy. But the picture mm-hmm. is that he says, if if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. He's mm-hmm. talking about us being washed clean by him. Uh, you know, it's it's he, you know, that it's not our own works by which we're saved, but the, the savior of the world comes and washes mm-hmm. us, you know? And so there has to be that, that other piece of it. And I think the question is, does everything have to be said all at once in these ads? And I think for me, the issue is this, it feeds into a, an ongoing and growing narrative. And it, it, it's, it's under the guise of this missionalism and, and, some of the people behind this are quote unquote missional. And what Christians don't understand is we all want to be missional as a, as a word, but there's a philosophy of ministry behind it. And uh, so missional is not simply living on mission. There's a whole philosophy of ministry that comes with this, that most Christians aren't aware of. And this is part of it. And so this idea where we, you know, pander to a certain ideological view, you know, which says Christians, most Christians don't get it. Most Christians are bad. Most Christians are judgmental. And then they sort of try to embody what the world is doing to portray us an attractive Jesus, you know? So if, if the world is trying to show that Christians are intolerant, we're going to agree with them and show them that, you know, we truly are not intolerant. Uh, we're not called to be intolerant. And nobody, none of us would say we're called to be intolerant. Everything I just said is, th- there's nothing wrong with, I, I, I don't think. The problem is we've seen it play out. They never get to repentance. They never get to the point where they call people to see Jesus as Lord. He's just the foot washer, you know? And that's not their goal. In in their website, hegetsus.com, you see, they are just there to start a conversation Um you know, they, again, they, they have the, the LGBTQ community and there's links specific to them. And of course, Jesus wants to save people in that community. Um, but they portray Christians as just like serving the wants and needs of that community and not actually giving them the truth, you know, or the same thing at, at the abortion clinic. And so it's, it's overall contributing to a narrative that, is obscuring the truth of who Jesus is. I don't even think non-believers fall for this. I, I really don't. You know, I've seen, I've already seen non-believers saying this is more bait and switch, you know, more. And and the truth is, in order to keep having that uh, ability to have a voice into these communities, you have to keep obscuring more and more truth. They never get to the point where they call people to repent and believe, like you said, at the beginning of Mark's gospel, the first things out of Christ's mouth. They, it never gets to that. I, I don't know. I asked one uh, PCA pastor of a large church who was kind of praising the ad, and, and I said, really? You, so you see this as starting conversations? How? I, I know a lot of non-believers. I, sometimes I think these people don't actually know non-believers. I, I don't, right. you know, I mean, I... I, I I I just don't understand. Like, I don't see this causing any conversations. I think it kind of feeds a, a, their impression of us already that we're kind of do things cheesily and that we're 
we're, we're, we're not authentic and there is a bait and switch. And if you never get to the switch, then it's all just bait. It, it makes you think about what, what would be the best use of a billion dollars? <laughs> you could plant literally a, a, over a thousand fully self-sustaining churches all over the globe with indigenous peoples, like people from the areas trained. You can get them trained, have a church, self-sustaining. That's discipleship. You yeah. Know, yeah. A billion mission, dollars. Mission is, a, mission is a grassroots. I mean, in, in America in particular, I mean, anywhere, but just where we are right now, you know, what do you, what do you have? You, you turn on the Super Bowl and you go to, to commercials and you, you get, um, you get a Bud Light commercial and then you get a Chevy truck commercial and then you get a Jesus commercial and then you get a, you know, a, a, a Coke commercial or something, you know, it's, it's one of, one of four things in the marketplace of, of products, goods and services that are being pushed out to people during the Super Bowl. And the way that mission really works is when you plant churches and you send missionaries and you get into people's lives and you bring them to the means of grace where they're hearing the gospel preached and so forth. And, and maybe in a, in a roundabout way, that's some of their aim, but I well, just like, don't think that a billion dollars is a really good way to no. I mean, on a, a one-minute-long commercial during the Super Bowl is the way to go about that. And I don't, I don't think we have a grasp of a billion either. Like that's nine hundred ninety-nine million. <laughs> you could give one thousand churches a million dollars. Our church would love to have a million. Somebody give us a million bucks. Sure. So how how many churches can you plant all over the world where things aren't as expensive? Right. But I think like as you read this. Who do you believe Jesus is? So, okay, good. You've started a conversation. They saw the ad. He gets us. It's edgy. It's it's on black and there's yellow and white. And, and let me go to the website. We believe there's something in the story of Jesus for everyone. Now, listen to this. That's why fans of the campaign and those working on it include people who are curious about this man and his story and want to explore it for themselves those reconstructing their faith and those who believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So you have people putting out there a Jesus they don't believe is the son of God. Some of them do. And so like you don't even get to the point when you go to the site, you got them there. You're not even going to tell them who Jesus really is. Oh, did you see the uh, the ad that says the the one that they should have made? No. Oh, let me this is great. Let me show yeah. you. So this one is done very well. I don't know who did it. And it's called He Saves Us. So it shows a, a person who's a former witch worshiping mm -hmm. Christ. Dawkins, former right-hand man. So former atheist working for Richard Dawkins. Right. Changed by Jesus Christ. Former jihadist. A former KKK member. And, um, but basically, it shows all these, these people who were activists and uh, hate mongers and all these things who are worshiping Jesus. And it says, Jesus doesn't just get us. Jesus saves us, restores us, sanctifies us. Mm -hmm. make, you know. And so that would have been, that would have been great. Really but what about, Al what about Alistair Begg? Right. Alistair Begg. Well, so, for so I'll, I'll, I'll play the video. 
And in very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person, and I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which mm. is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but I asked the, I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, mm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Mm. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared mm. to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really yeah. is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and, and don't understand that he is a king. Okay, yeah. so, I mean, Al Alistair Begg um, is, is someone who... I just very highly admire. I mean, he's one of the great preachers of our time. Um, he's a he's a, a Baptist, but uh, a lot of a, a lot of theological affinity is shared uh, between kind of those in our circles and him. I mean, he he definitely has a Calvinistic Reformed bent to him, and um, I, I've been remarkably helped by his his preaching. In ministry over the years, and uh, and so he is a, a affirming that we, you know, if you're invited to a a, a gay wedding of some sort, um, or the wedding of a of a you know one person to a transgender person, that it would be good to go to the wedding and to bring a gift, so long as they understand your under what you believe about Christ and what you believe about marriage, uh, and and you would do so in order to display love for sinners. And, um, I, you know, I, I think our, our challenge with that is that a wedding is, is, not, is not in the same category as something like a, a, a birthday or a Thanksgiving dinner or uh, uh, some kind of a party or a gathering at somebody's house uh, that's hosted by a, a married gay couple or something to that effect. Um, a, a wedding is a is a is a covenant between one man and one woman under God, <clears throat> and it is a it is a demonstration. It's a picture. It's a it's a metaphor for the relationship between Christ, groom, and the church, which is his bride. And, you know, when, when we go to a wedding, what we're doing is we are, in a sense, celebrating that couple joining together, and we're, we're giving affirmation to that union and uh, celebrating that union. And 
I think it's a, I think that's a, a dangerous thing for, for a Christian to do because it, again, much like the, he gets us this uh, uh, ad, it, it creates more confusion than clarity. And we're in a time where as Christians, we need to be gracious. We need to be compassionate. We need to, to understand the, the contexts in which we are ministering. Yes to all of that, but we need to speak with clarity. We need to have clarity on these matters. And, and I think that we, we just create a lot of ambiguity when right. we affirm what he affirmed. Right. And, and, and again, this, it's funny because he had a follow-up sermon. I'll put links to all this in, in the show notes so you can see where he doubles down on it. But he talks about the, like, he, he was like, he was almost, um, there was an arrogance about it or a, a disdain. Well, I, you know, I thought people who are listening to me had, had enough sense to understand the nuance involved or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And th- the problem is he, he didn't use the nuance involved in his statement. And so, you know, you and I, when we had this very same discussion back in the fall, I said, I am very sympathetic to a parent. Like I said, I've softened on this issue, not on the right and wrong of it, not on the fact that going to a wedding is a marriage, but that I am, I am sensitive to a parent or grandparent. I think I even said, um, who feels such emotional anguish over not going, you know, and I, and, and I'm just not going to blame them. Like, I'm not going to advise them. You know, I, I had people say to me, so you're saying you would, uh, I said, no, I'm just saying pastorally, I've had to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And I understand, like, I tell the people here, don't go. I tell them don't go. But if it's a parent or a grandparent, I think there's another layer there. And what people don't understand is these are not logical, you know, on paper, black and white things. These are right. oftentimes kids in homes that grew up very troubled, very strained relationship with their parents. Mm-hmm. Their parents are just trying to hold together the relationship. And if a parent goes, I wish they didn't, but I pastorally get their their heart and pull to, uh, I mean, you see in our society today, parents allow their kids to do so many things because they just don't want to discipline, <laughs> you know, how much more going to this wedding. Right. But the issue I have with Beg is not that he was like when he made the sermon later and tried to cover his tracks on this. He equivocated left and right constantly saying on the one hand, talking about being judgmental, but then at the other hand, talking or not being judgmental, but on the other hand, like trying to show pastoral compassion to the woman. But that's not what he said here. Here's what he said. Here's the thing. Your love for them may catch them off guard. Okay. I get that. But your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said, quote, these people are always what I thought, judgmental, critical, and unprepared to countenance anything. And I think that is 100% the wrong message. That is the same message that religious leaders, Christian leaders in the missional world are trying to tell the church to do things so that you don't appear judgmental. Yeah, but it's and, and it's it's the same thing that you mentioned that he gets us commercials that it's a bait and switch. So you're celebrating and you're affirming, but you're you're not celebrating and affirming. Well, let me let me let me let me explain that more. We're we are not to be judgmental, right? But that is different than to appear judgmental. You can't help but appear judgmental. <laughs> 
Jesus says they hated him. They're going to hate us. Jesus constantly, I'm reading the gospel of John. He's constantly saying, I'm not here to judge you, but my words judge you. We are in a world where our views don't match up with the world's views and our views are judgmental. And so the question is, you know, I, I read to my congregation Ephesians five this Sunday where it says, have nothing to do, take no part in the deeds of darkness, expose them. Right. Right. If you love people, you will shine actual light. That's not shiny, happy people going along with something. Um, and so my issue with Beg is not that he had a pastor's heart for a grandmother who's concerned over her relationship with her with her granddaughter. My heart is that it's the same non missional nonsense that says we are to take part in things that are sinful because otherwise we'll appear judgmental. That that's that's my issue. I understand the heart and I understand the decisions. And if if a parent in my church went after prayer and everything else, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to hold them against that, that that against them as a pastor. I'm I'm not, but I'm not do I'm not giving them the advice that because where does it end? Marching in LGBTQ parades. I have Christians. I know Christians in my old church who who did that because they didn't want to appear judgmental. Right, right, right. Exactly. Where you know, um, and and I think the thing is is that look back to Scripture. You know, let's where do we go to to decide how we ought to live in in a world where there are cultured despisers who think that we are knuckle draggers because we don't celebrate and affirm any kind of the the entire rainbow of sexual flavors out there and and practices and i think that we got to go back to scripture and think of places like first peter right you look at you look at the churches that are in asia minor and they're in uh, they're in this Roman context, and they're being hated, they're being maligned, they're being marginalized, they're eventually going to be physically persecuted. And there were so many things, so many cultural practices that they did not participate in because it was in violation of, of uh, what how a Christian ought to do and how a Christian ought to live. There were things that they did do that the prevailing culture did not do that the culture thought that they were nuts for. And, and they were viewed as, as uh, judgmental and they were viewed with all sorts of, of um, horrible, uh, nefarious intent and, what they did is, and what Peter calls them to do, is to live faithful Christian lives where they love each other, where they love the Lord, where they express holiness in their lives, and they they live ultimately for the glory of God while staying engaged with their neighbors, um, but but they don't capitulate to the spirit of the age. Right. And, and, and in doing so, what what happens? I mean, the, the the gospel begins to go forth, and churches begin to be established, and people begin to repent and believe, and it's it's a changed world over the course of centuries. And the thing is, is that we need to take the long view here, because if we just, you know, are so old, if our if our chief concern is that we're going to be portrayed or understood to be judgmental, um, then 
then then it is a bottomless pit of caving into to the spirit of the age. Right. You you, right. you have you have to take a stand and have clarity somewhere and let the sovereignty of God do you know God and his sovereignty do what he's going to do with that. Right, right. And again, we don't we I'm not telling you to go out and be judgmental and no. I'm not telling you to go out and That's appear different. Uh, deliberately appear judgmental, but in in exercising your Christian convictions about what is right and wrong, and just read Ephesians five, exactly. Read, read that, right, right. See, see if 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 there's any wiggle room for Christians to take part in things. Now that doesn't mean we don't uh, we have to be in the world, and not, not of the to, world. Yeah, we, not to not to not to withdraw. We're not to we're not to sequester ourselves from the world, and that's never the. The message of scripture but the thing is is that we have to be but we have to we have to stay engaged without caving right in. And, and what you know what you need to do you need to read the scriptures and you need to pray and you need to work these questions out in the community of faithful brothers and sisters who are seeking to honor the lord and dealing with the same questions and you you need to have the your gaze set on the, the holiness and the justice and the goodness and truth and love and power of God first before you uh, are, are casting your gaze on how you might be perceived by other people. That's right. The, uh, the, the other thing that he did was he made, he, he really did extremely poor exegesis in his explanation on, he used the, the par, like the parables in Luke on the lost coin the lost, uh, the lost son. And he basically compared us to the older brother who wouldn't come into the celebration of the younger son. And the father has to go out to the older brother and say, why don't you, uh, come in and join the party? In other words, you're the pharisaical legalist. And why I say this is just improper and poor, uh, exegesis is because the younger son returned home. There was repentance and there was a party. And absolutely, I agree that if we're not willing to celebrate with uh, sinners who repent of their sin, we are being legalistic. But that is not an appropriate application to say that's the same thing or even in the same ballpark as celebrating something as a wedding that, that God says is not a wedding. Anyway, that's our take on that situation. I'm going to end with a few minute clip from Sunday's sermon where I address some of this. I wasn't talking specifically about either of these things, but I think it's relevant and uh, hopefully a blessing to you. So we're called to walk in the light, to shine the light, to be the light. It sets out the sides of darkness and light. We are called children of light here. I have those verses in your bulletin too, Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. Philippians 2, 15. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul is saying what Jesus says about nobody takes a, a, a lamp and, and hides it under their bed, they make it and they shine it so that people will see. He says, you are the light of the world. And in Revelation 1, we see that the churches are lampstands to the world. And here we're supposed to be light in a dark world. Now, now here's the thing. This is not simply we go out as shiny, happy people. 
Because whenever Paul is using this in this context, it's to highlight the difference between the darkness and the light. And that's not simply meanness and niceness. That's sin and holiness. You know, there's, there's Christian leaders out there telling you to take part in deeds of darkness because that'll be win the world and then you won't appear judgmental. Where does the Bible say don't appear judgmental? The Bible says not to be judgmental, but when you stand on truth that's opposed to the world, guess what? In today's world, you're going to be called judgmental. I'm going to read Ephesians 5. I'm going to give you a chance to go there for those of you who have a Bible. Because you tell me after you read, if we read Ephesians 5, if we can make, see that there's any room to take part and celebrate things that the Bible says are wicked, to do that to, in, 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 the, in the offset chance that maybe we're going to appear not judgmental and they like us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love that it starts there in Ephesians 5 because it's setting out that we must do this in love. Walk in love. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And so the church must not embody these sinful tendencies. Let Verse 4, let there be no f- filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, and everybody thinks, oh, she's sexual immoral, or covetous, which is an idolater, there's a lot of that going on in the church. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes for the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were in darkness, that's why I'm reading it, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and true to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's so important. I'm telling you, Christian leaders that you listen to, that we read, that I may have quoted, are somehow going back on that. They don't want you to expose them because you'll look mean and intolerant. It is shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time because the days are evil. Let me ask you something. If there's somebody in your life that you love and they're walking in wickedness, if you love them, how could you not shine light into that situation in their life? You think it's loving to 
hide them and not expose them? Christian, we're called to be light. This must be done in joy, with love. It doesn't mean stay away from sinners. If we did that, Paul says we'd have to be out of the world. But we're to be light in the world. And our country has made a turn so that what we believe is no longer viewed positively. It used to be tolerated. It used to be celebrated, what we believed. Then it was tolerated. Now it's getting harder for the world to tolerate it. But it's not our job to hide the light. It occurs to me whenever I see this, particularly on Twitter or online or somewhere, it's oftentimes this from Christians who really haven't experienced the darkness. What do I mean by that? Look, we're covenant, we believe in covenant families and covenant homes. And so I hope that my kids never know a day where they don't know the Lord. I hope my kids never know the darkness that I knew. I hope, I hope that and pray that. And they could be grateful for it. But I'm seeing a lot of Christians that never knew the darkness not wanting to give the full light to people. And all the ones that lived wicked like me, we want people to have hope. And I thank God that as I was partying and reveling in all my debauchery on street parties, and I can't even tell you what I was doing or any of that, that there would be a person there with a sign. And again, he's not, he was, this wasn't one of these guys screaming at people, but he had a sign and just had some Bible verses on it. And he was spit on and mocked. And I walked up to him and I just wanted to say, why are you here? You think, what's so wrong about this? And he said, these are your friends? And I said, yeah. And do you call yourself a Christian? I said, yeah. He said, what were you? They're spitting on the word of God. I want people to have the hope that I have. And it was, it was because people were bold enough and strong enough to tell me sin is sin and truth is truth. There's a God who loves you. He will shine light into your life and heart.